I don't know what to say, really. Three minutes to the biggest battle of our professional lives all comes down to today. Either we heal as a team or we're going to crumble. Inch by inch, play by play, till we're finished. Today's podcast is all about systems, what systems are, and why they matter. That opening clip was from the movie Any Given Sunday, and it's known as the Inches Speech, and it's done by actor Al Pacino. And you hear in that speech just the different systems that exist on a football team. There's the individual players, there's the groups of players, there's the units of players. So there's like the offensive line. There's the wide receivers. Those groups have to interact. Interaction is a system. Coaches are a system. Plans are systems. Defenses systems. There's all kinds of systems within a football team and within a football game. And there are because systems stack. And they stack on an infinite level. Everything we do has an infinite number of systems involved. There's no way to break down a finite number of systems. A good example of this is the Powers of Ten video. If you haven't seen this, it's available on YouTube, but essentially it zooms out and in on a pair of picnickers in Chicago. And the video starts with an overhead shot of a couple having a picnic on a bench, and then it zooms out in order of magnitude. So you could imagine the camera rising, and it shows the picnickers on their blanket in the park, and then as it goes higher, it shows the entire park and then it shows the section of Chicago, and then it shows all of Chicago. Zooming out farther, it shows all of the Great Lakes, and then the globe, and the Earth, and then into space. And then on the other side, it also zooms in. So you go back to that main view, and it's the couple on the picnic blanket, and it zooms in to show their skin, and then their cells, and then the subatomic particles. And that's a good analogy for systems, because just like in the football game, in the football team, there's an infinite number of systems in everything we do. The good news is that even though there's an infinite number of systems, systems have a range of complexity. So some systems are pretty simple, and some are pretty complicated. Imagine a Lego block. A Lego block is a really simple system, even though it doesn't necessarily seem like a system at all. If you have a Lego block in your hand, it's basically just a piece of plastic that's been molded, but that plastic is a system. Legos are made of ABS plastic, and that has, uh, um, that that, um, breaks down over like 500 to 1,000 years. So even though you can't actually observe the Lego brick breaking down, it is. It's just doing it on a really long time scale. A Lego brick in your hand is also subject to the atmospheric pressure around it. That's another system. So you have two systems. You have the plastic system that's slowly breaking down, and you have the atmosphere. If you were to put a Lego block uh, in a volcano, it would melt because the system changes. So that's a pretty simple system that we can figure out. If you want to have Legos, keep them out of volcanoes and off the floor of your parents' house because if they step on them, They're going to get rid of them, at least for a few days. And systems can be more complicated than just Legos. 
The stock market is a great example of a complicated system. Just like a football team, there are different players involved, there are different groups and alliances, there's even rules that aren't actually rules. There's some economic thinking that says markets are always rational, but we know markets aren't necessarily always rational. There's also the psychology of the people involved. There's actions and reactions. So stock market is more of a complicated system than Lego brick on my desk. If we pay attention to these different systems, if we pay close attention to the different systems, we can hear the story that they tell and we can learn from the systems that are around this. I didn't really start thinking in terms of systems and learning from systems because it seemed a little too spiritual for me. I was thinking models and numbers. And then I read Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. And Lawrence Gonzalez wrote this book and it focuses on two parts of survival. One part is surviving situations that are dangerous and the other part is uh, is not getting in situations that are dangerous. So the first part would be about maybe how you would start a fire or how you would survive in the wilderness. And there's parts of the book that are like that. Uh, but Gonzalez goes even deeper into the psychological makeup of surviving situations. The part we want to focus on for this systems podcast is all about avoiding dangerous situations. This is the passage from Gonzalez's book that really struck me. Uh, he's just landed in Hawaii on his flight from Chicago. He sees the beautiful waves on the beach. He sees the crystal blue water and he wants to go surfing. So he goes down to the beach and he passes a lifeguard. And just in passing, he makes eye contact and asks the guard how the swimming is. And then this is what he writes in the book. Quote, well, he said, as if considering it for the first time, he looked out onto the sea, rubbing his goatee. He was a redhead, thin and freckled, his face lined with experience. He came down from the tower and started the sea. Before answering, he seemed to think of something and asked my name. I told him. He grabbed my hand in a surfer's handshake and said, Mike Crowder. I waited. He turned back to the sea and continued to stare at it with a spaced out look, and I started to wonder if he was stoned. Hawaiian weed is supposed to be bitchin'. Okay, he said at last, as if he'd decided something. It was only then that I realized he'd been reading the waves, the lineup, the break. End quote. What Crowder has done is he, as a lifeguard, has understood the system of surfing that beach in Hawaii. He understands the different components. In the same way that a football player can deeply understand a football play and has scouted his opponent and knows what he's going to do, this lifeguard has done that with essentially the waves. He's learned to listen to the system. And this is common in adventure sports. Crowder, like other adventure athletes, uh, learned to listen to a system. It didn't, it didn't happen overnight. It took a lifetime of experience. He knows that when his body is ready to surf and when it is and how he feels, he can sense the undertow. He can know uh, what it looks like. He can hear what the waves crash and what that means. He can feel if the weather is going to change. A lot of people have this implicit knowledge. They're in Ohio, it's easy in the spring to know when it's going to rain because it just changes. And I don't know how to define that, whether that's the barometric pressure or if that's um, a reaction to different smells that are in the air. I don't know what it is, but I know that that's a signal from the system. 
And you don't have to know the name of the thing to know the thing. That is one part of understanding, but systems are finicky. They're not always the same. They aren't always subject to definitions. You have to be willing to change. And the more I started to think about listening to systems, the more I realized that this idea is everywhere and a lot of people who succeed are people who listen to systems. For example, we opened with the soliloquy from any given Sunday, but that happens all the time in football. When Tony Dungy took over coaching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they were a really bad football team. They just weren't good. And when Dungy was first hired, uh, people didn't know how good he would do. He wasn't necessarily a coach that a lot of people pointed to and say he would be really good. Charles Duhigg tells the story of Tony Dungy getting hired uh, by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in his book, The Power of Habit. And Duhigg writes this, quote, Part of the problem was Dungy's coaching philosophy. In his job interviews, he would patiently explain his belief that the key to winning was changing players' habits. He wanted to get players to stop making so many decisions during a game, he said. He wanted them to react automatically, habitually. If he could instill the right habits, his team would win, period, end quote. So what that tells us is that Dungy wanted to change how the players in a football game listen to the system. He didn't want them to listen and decide. He wanted them to listen and react. Duhigg goes on, quote, Players spent their lives building the habits that got them to the NFL. No athlete is going to abandon those patterns, like how they listen, simply because some new coach says to. When asked, Dungy said, rather than creating new habits, he was going to change players' old ones, end quote. So Dungy has decided to not change not what the system is telling them. He's not saying to his players, don't listen to the system. He's telling his players, when you listen to the system, this is how you act afterwards. This is also an idea that has popped up in business. Uh, music executives used to look for hit songs and try to find them with their ears and, and what a band looked like, but that all changed. Uh, Doug Morris, who at one time or another, was in charge of every major record label, knew how to listen to the system, not the music. He didn't try to hear hits and pick a catchy jingle or if a band looked good. He listened in a different way. Just to set the stage, imagine it's 1964 and Morris is an executive, not a top guy, but uh, someone who can make decisions. And he's doing basically the equivalent of uh, checking the stats. He would have been an early statistician, like in uh, Michael Lewis's book, Moneyball. So Morris, rather than going by the eyeball test, is going into the back room, and he's seeing where the music is being ordered from. And he notices that there's a band called Music Explosion. Got free. Quote, those sales, that is the sales from Music Explosion, were generally unimpressive, with one exception, a record store in the small town of Cumberland, Maryland, which had, during the most recent inventory cycle, inexplicably ordered two crates of discs. Morris was struck by this anomaly, end quote. So Morris has listened to the system by looking at order amounts. He goes down the spreadsheet and it's low number, low number, low number, low number, high number, low number, no, low number, low number, and he sees that as the system talking to him. It's the system of what people want with music. 
back to Witt's book, quote, he, Morris, was soon talking long distance with the Cumberland store's owner, who told Morris that through repeated heavy airplay, a local radio DJ had turned this unexceptional song into a regional hit. In fact, the owner was already planning to place another order for the single as the two crates of Lori 3380 he bought were running out, end quote. Now, Lori 3380, that's what the record company used to identify this signal. So Morris realized that in listening to the system in this way, he could have more popular music. And this went on to do everything that Morris, uh, to, went on to influence everything Morris did later on. Uh, one final quote from Witt. Quote, he, Morris, pushed the executives at Lorry to market the song more aggressively, and soon DJs around the country had moved it into prime time rotation. By the end of 1967, Little Bit O' Soul had peaked at number two on the Billboard charts, end quote. This taught Murray that the system was willing to marketing, that things can be done in a way to the system that, that promote uh, you could say like an artificial result. So the artificial result was a popular song and the input was marketing. But this doesn't always work. Another example of this is Soldiers. This quote is from All Quiet on the Western Front. Quote, at the start of the first droning of the shells we rush back and one part of our being a thousand years. By the animal instinct that is awakened in us, we are led and protected. It is not conscious. It is far quicker, much more sure, less fallible than consciousness. It is this other, this second sight in us that has thrown us to the ground and saved us without our knowing how, end quote. So we don't even have to necessarily be active listeners for systems, but we do have to know it. If we don't actively listen, it has to be ingrained in us. It has to be evolved in us. It has to be really deep. But it doesn't always have to be deep. We can actively listen and find ways to hear systems. Barry Ritholtz says that he looks for the prices of cars and sees what classic cars are selling for. And if the selling price is really high, then that's a signal in the system of how much wealth is available. Planet Money did a podcast called Tracking a Roller Coaster, where they talked about whether or not the sales of classic art and specific kinds of classic art, like comic books, because of the new generation of technology millionaires and billionaires are investing in, and to see if that's a signal for the financial system. Uh, the 1920s in America had an essence of too good to be true, which is an odor of systems that we can be attuned to. In Rainbow's End, Maury Klein writes, quote, we'd rather do without Close, then give up our car, end quote, said one mother. Uh, that's that's a, an idea that people are focused on things that are really valuable. There's no struggle in that, and that's a clue that systems give. Uh, banks were expanding and getting more ability to do different sorts of lending. So what? What does this all mean? Uh, systems, you can listen into them. It's not necessarily a spiritual thing, but it is something that we can use and apply in our own lives. And after looking at these examples, I think there's three big takeaways, three big so what things that we, uh, that we can apply to our own lives. The first is be in and be aware. 
Systems speak in small ways. Anybody that's played sports recognizes this, is that you act or react or you do something and there's no conscious pattern about why that is. You don't know consciously why you ran one way or jumped another way or took some sort of action, but it's there. And it's because you've learned to listen to the systems. Remember, systems are stacks of systems on an infinite level. So when we act towards something, it's because we've learned from one of the systems. So if we're in the system and we're aware of it, then we can be more in tune with it. The second big takeaway is to be humble. We should know and recognize that since systems are infinite and we will never understand every part of every system. The Lego block is a really simple system and we can understand many of those parts, but even on a molecular level, I don't understand the Lego block. And there's a lot of things with the Lego block that might change over time that I just don't see. In the same way that I'll never see a Lego block fall apart because it takes too long, I, there may be other parts of the system that I don't know, but I'm humble enough to know that I won't know everything about systems. The third part about systems, and this is the part that was my biggest takeaway from thinking about this, is that systems are susceptible to chain reactions. That's why I started with the clip from Any Given Sunday. It's inch by inch, play by play, the moments we need, the inches we need are everywhere in this game. And so if a football team doesn't get an inch they need, it might mean they have to run a different play. And that play might lead to something else. And that play might lead to something else. And there's a lot of examples of bad things that happen because of chain reactions. In 1929, uh, the crash that started the Great Depression was a chain reaction where country banks kept their money in city banks. And city banks lent their money to New York City banks. And New York City banks lent their money to Wall Street. And so once someone from the country went to the city to get their money back, the city had to go to New York and so on to get their money back. And that started a pull of money. It started a run on the banks. In 1998, there was a hedge fund called Long-Term Capital Management that needed a little bit of money. They needed to change just a few of their positions and they would have been okay. But they couldn't get it because every other hedge fund that they could have gotten money from was in the same situation as them. It was a domino effect. In 2002, there were a group of four climbers that were descending Mount Hood. The climbers had all clipped together. So, uh, and then they, they let out some rope and they went down the hill one at a time, kind of like a giant snake going down the hill. And the idea with that was that if anyone slipped and fell a small amount, they would be arrested by the other people on the mountain. What happened was, is that the person that was at the very top of the rope ended up falling. And there's no way that they could have been arrested by the other people that are on the mountain. Those four, because they were hooked together, started a chain reaction. Not only one guy taking down three other guys, but that group of four hooked on to two more people on the way down and then three more people before they all crashed into a crevice. Three of the men on that mountain died that day because of the chain reaction. And that's something to be aware of with systems, that they're everywhere around us and we should listen to them. We should be humble enough to know we can't hear everything they say and that systems are susceptible to chain reactions and that we can be aware of them. This was another edition of Mike's Notes. Thanks for listening.